Hi guys, it's Michelle. I had a slightly different beginning for the podcast today, but I'm going to just edit it a little differently because I've been interrupted. We're talking double digits numbers of times today and I kind of give up. <laughs> so I'm going to skip the preamble and go straight to the thing I wanted to read today by David Foster Wallace. It's from his This Is Water. Most days, if you're aware enough to give yourself a choice, you can choose to look differently at that dead-eyed, over-made-up lady who just screamed at her kid in the checkout line. Maybe she's not usually like this. Maybe she's been up three straight nights holding the hand of a husband who is dying of bone cancer. Or maybe this very lady is the low-wage clerk at the motor vehicle department who just yesterday helped your spouse resolve a horrific, infuriating red tape problem through some small act of bureaucratic kindness. Of course, none of this is likely, but it's also not impossible. It just depends what you want to consider. If you're automatically sure that you know what reality is, and you are operating on your default setting, then you, like me, probably won't consider possibilities that aren't annoying and miserable. But if you really learn how to pay attention, then you will know there are other options. It will actually be within your power to experience a crowded, hot, slow, consumer hell type situation as not only meaningful, but sacred, on fire with the same force that made the stars, love, fellowship, the mystical oneness of all things deep down. So that's a snippet from David Foster Wallace's commencement speech to the 2005 graduating class of Kenyon College, and it's as good an example of coaching and thought work as I know of. It's a practice. It's just a practice, and writers, writers know better than most that how we tell the story makes all the difference. The details we choose to include, as well as the ones we choose to ignore. And all we have to do is look for moments, small moments, to be aware that we are always doing this. Aware enough to maybe give ourselves a choice to look at things just a little differently. And if afterwards you still want to be miserable or angry or annoyed, disappointed, even outraged, be my guest. But now you know it's a choice, your choice. And the person or the persons you or I were blaming for those feelings, could they just as easily be objects of your sympathy 
or your pity? Or dare I say, even your admiration? If your brain chose to concentrate on different facts today? What do you think? As the Quakers say, that speaks to my condition. What do you think? How do you think you frame your opinions and gather evidence for the important stories and narratives in your life? The story we each tell, the ideas we choose to include in those stories, and the frequency with which we tell those stories, this is what primarily connects us as humans. And it's also what alienates us from each other. And that's what today's story is all about. Hello, veg heads and veg your besties. Welcome back. Welcome back to Veg Your Best, the plant-based podcast. My name is Michelle Olander. I'm a certified life coach, a practicing vegan, and I'm here every week encouraging you to eat more plants and challenge yourself to set an impossible goal, a goal that is impossible right at this moment for you, right at this moment, but that allows you to grow into the next evolution of you. And here we are at episode 62, and boy, oh boy, it's been hard to get the beginning recorded today. I have people calling my name, doors being slammed, uh, the electricity got turned off a couple times. And anyway, as you know, even thinking about the first podcast, the first episode was an impossible goal for me once upon a time. Today, it seemed pretty impossible a few times, but anyway... It's possible. I've proven that it's possible. And what wasn't possible for me once upon a time encourages me, and I hope, I hope encourages you that there are things out there for you that you may not even believe yet. Now, you know my goal. My main goal is to help people limit or eliminate the consumption of animal products and to help vegans tackle their next big challenge, whatever that is. And this podcast is where I get to introduce or discuss some of the ideas and the life coaching tools that I use with my clients. And it's an opportunity for you, should you choose to accept it, to learn a little tiny bit about me. So even if you and I never work together, it's my commitment to drip, drip, drip into you, my belief, my belief that just because you currently think something's impossible for you, that thought is optional. It's not true. And I'm here every single week to challenge you to think about something you really want a little bit differently, to use different facts to tell your story. You know, it's when we give ourselves permission to think about this life, our lives, and the other beings in our lives a little differently. That's when we get to try on new ideas that seem impossible. 
So I ask all the time, what gets people to move away from eating animal products routinely? Ultimately, that is the biggest part of my work, really, to notice, to notice what helps people choose differently in any of a number of areas, but specifically here, for many of us, it's the idea of choosing to stop consuming animals. And that comes down, comes down to choosing to see things that we are not habituated to seeing, to noticing facts and ideas and opportunities that we tend to not notice. You know, I can still look at people eating animal products and not be outraged, not be terribly upset because I grew up in a culture and with experiences that have really desensitized me to watching people prepare and eat animals. And in that same culture, I can get utterly weepy, ugly cries if I think a dog is a little chilly or hungry or unloved. Recently, I was called out by an activist who, well, really disapproved of me for encouraging people to move away from eating animals at their own pace. The entire concept, really, of VeggieBest. And he found it morally unacceptable. And you know, I get it. I get his point. I really do not disagree with it. I totally get it. And I know that if I used his reference points and took them in the order that he does, I would completely agree with him. And at the same time, here in the same universe, I currently concentrate on other reference points, on other details and ideas. I tell myself a slightly different story. And that story leads me to find my work, my mission, my advocacy, well, primarily among people who are, well, maybe, maybe open to the idea of not consuming animals anymore, but really, they just do not see how they're ever going to function in this world without eating animals. Now, in the story, my colleague, the activist, tells about this world, there is an objective wrong. There is an objective sin, basically, that there are billions of land animals and even more billions of sea animals being abused, being tortured and killed. And to suggest that we cut down on those billions of animals by 10% or 50% or even 80% is absurd because it's patently immoral and unacceptable. I think we can all see that point. I think we can see the narrative that he creates, that he is drawing from the information that he is choosing to consider. So if you believe it's wrong, it's wrong. So cutting down on wrong is still wrong. And he does not approve of, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not laughing. I, it, it's not funny. It's, you know, it's the absurdity of the human condition. 
Here I am, I build my little world, and I choose, well, I choose seemingly different information to consider in the narrative, to build my narrative around. And that narrative is what? Well, it's built around my experience that what keeps people from choosing not to consume animals is primarily their thoughts that it's too hard, that it's impossible, that no one will support them in it, that it might be potentially harmful to their family's nutrition or that they'll feel miserable and deprived all the time. And then we cloak the whole issue in a culture, an economy, traditions, a day-to-day lifestyle where eating some sorts of animals is so normalized, so ubiquitous that it's very, very hard for most of us to even get the psychological distance, never mind the physical distance from consuming animals, that distance to clarify our own thoughts on the subject. So that's the narrative I write, that if we can help people start to imagine themselves thriving without animal products, to just crack open the psychological, the social, the nutritional possibility that not only could they survive without eating animals, they could actually thrive, not only thrive, that they'll be able to see themselves in a completely new way, capable of seeing themselves doing all kinds of things they've talked themselves out of in the past, with a relationship to the planet and to other beings and to their own health choices and outcomes. See, that's my narrative. That's my narrative, that if we could just help them imagine themselves, change is possible. And the other part of my narrative, the story I've been creating in my head with the choices I concentrate on, is that there are people who get that first glimpse of how animals are treated, and they're wham, wham, out of here, completely vegan, overnight. And I personally, personally don't know too many vegans with that story arc, though I know it exists. And it might be because I'm 62 and I didn't get close to vegan until my mid-50s. And that's another piece of the story that I'm concentrating on, that I'm choosing to use in my narrative in the story that I'm telling in my coaching and in this podcast. I concentrate on people who didn't see it all and who didn't have an overnight road to Damascus conversion to veganism because I didn't. And then, well, then one of the last parts of my narrative is the story that I've constructed that moms, grandmothers, are so influential. We are so powerful. We are such leaders, not only for our kids and our grandkids, but for spouses and parents and co-workers and community members and library committees, friends. Listen, if moms and grandmothers can lean into veganism a little bit or even plant-based diets, not only are they going to influence others, they can actually take away one of the excuses so many people use. 
that's, well, if I don't eat my mom's chicken soup or my grandmother's cookies or Yorkshire pudding or Easter eggs, fill in the blank. She's going to be so mad. It will ruin the holidays. It will upset the family. It will, it will complicate family get-togethers. What if all the people on the proverbial fence about how to limit and eliminate the consumption of animal products, what if all those people knew that their moms and grandmothers were proud of them and delighted that their families were taking on a vegan practice. So, as my friend Angela says, all that to say, I admire the vegan activists like the one I'm talking about today. And I think that I understand his condemnation of my method. I think. I wouldn't like to put words in his mouth, but I think I get it. And still, I find my work here. Cajoling, challenging, suggesting, looking for ways to open up our thoughts, maybe your thoughts, about veganism. And for those of you who already have a vegan practice, I know that you and I use these same tools and methods to open ourselves up to other ideas and goals that currently seem or feel impossible. And I do think there is room, even a need, for some all-or-nothing attitude on this issue. And I believe it helps, it probably helps a bunch of people go all-in vegan overnight. I believe that. And I also choose to believe that there are other people who actually need this message to veg their best. So, there are different ways to look at this. It just depends, as David Foster Wallace writes, on what you want to consider. There may be other options, and in the long run, in the long run, it might turn out that I decide I'm wrong. But for now, that's how I choose to tell my story. And for now, I'm sticking with it. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So, until next week, make it easy and veg your best. <laughs>